Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan Pearson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, how are you? Feeling a lot better both physically and mentally than the team we're about to talk about right now. That's for sure. (laughs) That is probably a blanket statement that can apply to a lot of people at this point. We'll just let's just jump right into it. Sadly, sad but true. If you follow this team right now, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. So so first series out of the all-star break, four games with Philly, one and three. They are now 40 and 53 as of Monday Season low, 13 games, or season high, I guess, 13 games below 500. And we'll get to the record and the standings and all of the trade deadline stuff that will apply to that in a matter of minutes. But first, on the physical side, a lot of injuries over these first three game, three days. Uh, Jesus Sanchez placed on the IL for undisclosed reasons, which we all kind of know what that means at this point. Mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez is on the IL with, I believe it was deemed a – right rotator cuff strain jazz Chisholm injured in the season series finale with the Phillies with a short with a left shoulder injury. They initially listed it as a shoulder contusion. Uh, we haven't gotten the full update yet as of the recording of this podcast, but the anticipation is that it is a lot is it is that the injury is worse than just the, the situation could be grim. Yes. Yes. And then in, and then later on in that game, Garrett Cooper injured his elbow. Yeah. Exhale. <laughs> yeah that's a lot a lot the stomach if you were um out you know out and about partying not watching martin's baseball and you care about the martin's this weekend we apologize for ruining your monday or your tuesday when you hear this i'm sorry but yeah i mean you said it, a lot of injuries last three days a lot of injuries the last three months really for this team and culminating in what could be hopefully for them rock bottom not anything work i can't think of much worse than this but, you know, you lose one of your best one of the one of the things that has kept this team, you know, at least afloat for a while. I mean, now, you know, they've been they've been out of it for a couple of weeks now, a few weeks now. But what even kept them in it to begin with early in the season was that rotation. And now you lose one of the mainstays there. That's actually that's pitched really well this year. in Pablo, you were hoping he didn't break this year. You're hoping not to see another injury with him. He's had, he's had some issues in the past, as we know. So that's unfortunate. But then. You know, Garrett Cooper, same things, had a lot of injury history, and he had been hanging in there, had been doing pretty well, had been hitting in spots. Now he goes down. So that being said, the the really painful part was seeing a guy who, you know, we've already even said on this podcast, I know I've been saying he's the face of the franchise now, if he, if he isn't already. Seeing Jazz Chisholm, and again, on an effort play, you know, that he's the type of player that can be so electric on the field and looks like that you know, cut from that mold of, of a guy who can be a star in this league, you know, eventually. And you hate to see that. It, it, it happens, but, you know, it just sucks because, you know, this, this kid's had a promising breakout year and, you know, something to build on. But now this happens and we don't know, obviously, like you said, we don't know the time frame, but more than likely you'd suspect that it's going to be, if not season ending, at least be out for a bit. And again, it just compounds, forget about, what the season is for the Marlins at this point, but it just, you hate to see it for one of the younger, one of the long-term pieces, a guy like him, especially, like I said, that is going to be at the forefront of all the players they're hoping turn out to be the key foundation guys for this team for the next few years. And, you know, hopefully it's nothing too, too bad where jazz can't bounce back from it, you know, relatively quickly. 
And it's coming off the heels of, again, a pretty strong rookie season for Jazz. I mean, 11 home runs, 11 stolen bases, 754 OPS, which is a little lower, but he after he's finally started to turn things around. Uh, he's been that spark plug, up he whether knows. he's at the top of the lineup or in the RBI spots hitting fifth or sixth. He found ways to make plays and just bring that sense of energy that really hasn't been there these last few years with this club. And it's, it's been a refreshing sight watching him play just even when he's striking out or getting picked off or doing something, it's not for a lack of trying. He's the kind of player. Yeah. He's the exciting kind of player they haven't had. Like they haven't had too many of it all in, in recent years since the rebuild. And he's a guy that you look forward to watching. Like, you know, we always said after Jose died, when, when are they going to have the next, like, main event guy that draws people to come see this team, whether it's on TV or in person? Jazz is that type of player, you know, and then you hope that they can get more of those or, or the guys that they have right now in their farm system eventually become that. But Jazz is the first one that's really, really, as far as position player especially, because, you know, we talked about the pitching and six, though, and all that, but I'm, I'm talking only about a position player. What a, you know, we're an exciting guy. He could potentially be and then this happens it's like it's it's a gut punch right now to this team i mean realistic or not they believe that they still had a chance to rally the troops and make something out of the season in the last few weeks even though it didn't look like it in the standings with the nl east as bad as it's been overall maybe there was a tiny window there a couple weeks ago but this it, it all just like clustered together and now now you really start thinking wow it you know, what are they going to do? That, that's I know I'm transitioning to our next topic, which is going to be about moving pieces and trades. But that's that's what that's the important thing right now. Where where can this franchise improve for the future? Yeah. Before we touch on that, just try and figure out short term. Who are they going to replace both Pablo and Jazz with Cooper? Obviously, he was part of that triangle with Duval and Aguilar, which you're going to have to figure out a potential replacement for at least one of those guys when we get into our next topic. But in the immediacy of these next 10, 11 days before the deadline, you're already down to basically Sandy, Pablo, and Trevor in your rotation. Zach Thompson filling in one of those spots in that bullpen day for the rotation. Now you need to find another part of that rotation to fill in. And then the Marlins middle infielder situation, Jose Devers is still on rehab assignment. You're bouncing around Joe Panic and John Birdie between – just third base is one thing, but now if you're going to have both of them as half of your infield, that's not a solid scenario there. In terms of your guys in the minors, Jose Devers still on a rehab assignment. Unless they call up a guy like a Bryson Bregman, there really aren't too many internal options at this point in terms of that infield depth until yeah. Brian Anderson, obviously, if he returns on the 25th or is eligible to return on the 25th. But mm-hmm. his at-bats since he started his rehab assignment have not been pretty. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, look, in terms of wins and losses, who cares? You're not going anywhere this year. But in terms of you got to at least put bodies out there and you got to make sure other guys don't get hurt and you can put a real team and be competitive out there. That's one thing. And that's where, you know, they've been they've been mixing and matching the whole season. I was going to say, it's not, you said, you know, go back to painful three months, you know, and, and piecing it together. I mean, I think in the short term, you're right. They might not. They might not be able to get someone in there necessarily to get Pablo in there. But I'm looking at Edward Cabrera in, in, in pretty soon as a guy who will at least come up and maybe make his debut. And then if all goes well, maybe can stick there for a little bit and he gets his first few major league starts. You know, look at the outfield. 
you know, there's there's some trades talk, there's some trade situations coming up right now where Starling Marte may be more than likely maybe moved. Well, that's going to give an opportunity, potentially maybe, who knows, maybe a final opportunity to a guy like Lewis Brinson, maybe another opportunity again for a guy like Monte Harrison to play it out, play those next couple months, you know, and, and, and have another chance. Like, can, are you going to make it in the major leagues? Can, can they, can they build some, some sustained momentum and, and show something? If not, then there's your answer. So in a way you're answering questions, even though it's ugly right now, you're answering questions for your own future in that regard. And there are questions that need to be answered specifically when we talk with, about Lewis Brinson, he's out of options after this year. So yep. if he's not, going to be part of the future they need to figure that out now right. they need to figure it out before october 3rd when they're when they play their last game against philadelphia phillies in the regular season to know if they're going to try to chance having if they're going to try to take a chance on them once again or finally have to say hey we got to cut ties and start looking at that next wave of outfielders who after this year of the minors that they're hoping will be ready at some point in 2022 Mm-hmm. Monty Harrison, you need to give him at least a decent decent amount of playing time. I mean, he's only had 54 career Major League Baseball bats. Obviously, right. those 54 bats have not been pretty. But in the same vein, you can't fully judge a guy off of less than 100 bats <laughs> at this point. You need to give he's him – yeah. yeah, go ahead. I don't know. No, sorry to cut you off. No, and, and 54 bats, and he's turning 26 on August 10th. Yes. So clock is ticking on that. You know, you gotta, you gotta get him. You gotta, you gotta get a better look at him. You, you yeah. really do. Even if it, again, wins and losses. Who cares? You, you know, if any, if anything, you're helping your draft status for next year. So <laughs> let's go. You know, get get him his final chance. You give Lewis a chance to to prove it. If he doesn't prove it, then you have your answer. But if not, this is the perfect opportunity to get those guys a steady look that that they haven't been able to. Yeah, and all of that is most likely going to happen because. According to our Miami Herald senior baseball contributor, Craig Mish, the Marlins uh, contract extension talks with outfielder Starling Marte are all but done. The Marlins are not going to continue the extension talks, which all essentially points to July, by July 30th, Marte is going to be on a new team, which, I mean, as much as this, these talks have been happening, it seemed like this was going to be the inevitability, especially knowing that this is going to be Starling Marte's last chance to get a full contract extension. He's going to be 33 in October. He never experienced that free agency run. He got his extension while he was with the pirates. So he never really got the chance to explore free agency and try to get the best offer possible. And knowing that this is his last chance, he's going to try to get as much as he can. And the Marlins were, I mean, just knowing the trajectory of this team, they were not going to be giving a guy as talented as he is. And as much as he has provided for this team over the last year, they weren't going to be providing him the money that he was going to want and probably not the length that he was going to want for a contract either. Uh, absolutely right. I mean, I, it never made sense to me. Why would you, why would you give a guy in his age range anything more than maybe two years? You know, when you're looking at, when you're a team that right now is waiting for all these outfield prospects to develop and become your mainstays, you know, for the future in that outfield, you know, and, and you're, and you're still drafting guys that are coming up and they're get, eventually are going to be, you know, adding depth to that spot. Why would you do that? Why would you, not that they were going to give him a super long contract, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, to me, it's like the year to year guys, maybe two years at most, that type of thing. And then, yeah, Marte's not going to, 
ideally he's not going to want that. He's going to want something a little more stable if he can. So it, he's going to end up, you know, if, if, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, he's going to end up on a contender this year. You know, maybe it's a team like the Yankees. We're looking for an outfielder. Their Yankees are coming to town at the end of the month. They'll be here on trade deadline day. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we were, we were joking that maybe it's one of those situations where he switches dugouts and then all of a sudden he's in the outfield wearing gray and, and the, the gray jersey that says New York on it. And I know that'll that'll hurt a lot of Marlins fans, but, you know, for Starling Marte, it could mean, if, you know, potentially if the Yankees get back in it, really get back in it, it could mean a trip to the playoffs. Or if not the Yankees, someone else that is in the dogfight right now. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I think, again, I think it, it opens the door for them to really give a, a, a long look at some of these players like the ones we mentioned that really you need to have a proper evaluation and make some some tough decisions in the offseason. And again, we bring up the Yankees. And again, there's nothing concrete on that at the moment. But when you look at the Yankees 40 man roster, you look at their outfielders, seven of their 10 are on the injured list right now. Yeah, I just threw them out there because yeah. they, they definitely outfield is a big need for them right now. And they're trying. They, they just beat the Red Sox twice over the weekend. So there's still a glimmer of hope they can. They're still in the wild card race, but there's a glimmer that they could maybe fight their way back into the mix there with, with Boston and Tampa. So they're, they're definitely, if they can sustain that for another two, two weeks. And there's other teams just like them. I mean, Atlanta's fighting to get back in it. Um, you know, other teams that are, I mean, look at all the teams out west in that battle between la and san diego and san francisco i mean you got teams teams are going to be looking for pieces maybe not necessarily outfield but there's gonna be a lot of teams you know buzzing that phone for the uh, buzzing the marlins phone to try and, and look at some of these guys that that could help them they'll push them toward a world series yeah and a few of the other guys we've mentioned before jesus aguilar national league rbi leader jesus aguilar 68 rbi 17 home runs 825 ops solid defense at first base there is a certain team also in the AL East that is dealing with first yeah. base issues mm-hmm. and potentially could see Jesus Aguilar wearing some Boston red at some point. Yeah. That's again, nothing concrete on that, but no, just right. trying it's to apply a, a the pitch as to where things are. Correct. Right. And then everyone in terms of contenders at this time of the year, they're looking for bullpen help. Jimmy Garcia. It's a free agent after this year. I can, really see a move like the Marlins did with the twins a la Sergio Romo in 2019 flip your closer to a team that needs somebody as a seventh eighth inning guy get a high-end prospect in return a couple of the other bullpen arms you can who knows they might be able to get something out of a Dylan Flora or a Richard Blyer a lefty lefty who does well and Richard always could could provide provide some sort of market especially if you maybe have to pair up a lower end prospect to beef up and get something bigger in return but Marlins have some options in their, in their bullpen as well. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and you're always going to need arms. I mean, you know how it is when you get to the playoffs, the starters don't even go that deep in the games half the time. You need arms. You need arms that are going to get those, those tough outs. You know, every, every at-bat is so, so intense. And, like, so, you know, it's not like the regular season. Like, it's such a big focus. And you need guys, you need guys with experience also that have pitched big innings as well. You know, and so there's going to be, again – Kim Ang's phone is going to be ringing off the hook, you know, and they're going to be in a position where they can, they're going to be able to at least offer some, some, some quality value of players to, to some of these contenders. And, you know, for their sake, hopefully they pounce and, you know, make a few moves so they can address some of the needs that, that, that weren't addressed in the, going into this season. And maybe, you know, by next season, you're that much closer on the development track with a lot of these players where you're, you're, you know, that mesh will come together and, Hopefully they don't fall into this 
you know, the, the, this pit that they've been in again this season are a little closer to contention. Yep. It's going to be an interesting next 10 days heading into the July 30th trade deadline. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And then on the second half, we're going to do a lot of minor league talk, which is basically going to be talking about a lot of the guys who we will most likely be seeing in the not so distant future. So on that note, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back, everyone. Uh, for our minor league discussion this week, going to talk a lot, of, uh, a lot for, at first about a guy who's been just tearing it up with Class A advanced Beloit, uh, son of good old Mister Marlin. We're talking about Griffin Conine. Uh, mm-hmm. Twenty-three home runs heading into this week with the Beloit Snappers, the most in minor league baseball. Uh, he's just been an absolute. He's just been mashing the baseball and his power has been something that's been known, but just seeing how consistently he's doing that while also trying to balance a strikeout rate, which we'll get into in a minute, but he's been a really pleasant surprise throughout his first year since the Marlins acquired him for, from the Blue Jays and that Jonathan VR trade last, last trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, look, but again, it's another kind of another all or nothing bat. It seems, you know, like the big power, but also the big alarming strikeout rate. So you hope that that's something players like that. I think they're just, they're, they're, that's, that's their profile. Like they're always going to be, you know, power, somewhat high strikeout guys, but you want, you hope that they kind of develop to the point, develop their approach and whatnot to the point where it's not obviously that alarming that alarmingly high get to the point where it's a little more where they can make more consistent contact and make productive outs and so on. So it's good to see what Griffin's doing. I'm curious to see how he takes it to the next level because it seems like for a while he's been there at Beloit, you know, basically destroying the league up there. Let's see how he does now against double a, you know, I want to see him face those, that type of pitching. And if he can keep doing it and great. Hey, progression continues. But like you said, it looks like that call up is coming now with some shifts that are going to come within the system pretty soon. Yeah. With the Marlins signing their draft classes and with there not being that short season, that short season class a that's normally been that halfway mark between rookie league and low a, a lot of the college level guys are more than likely going to start off in Jupiter, which forces Players from Jupiter, some to get moved up to Beloit, some from Beloit get moved up to Pensacola, and the list just keeps moving up. And Griffin most likely is going to be one of those guys that gets moved up to double-A Pensacola. And on that note, over the weekend, I had the chance to talk with Griffin before one of his games in Beloit. Uh, Talked for me for about 15 minutes about just what he's been working on this season, his first year in the Marlins organization. Uh, Just what it's been like with his dad, Jeff Conine, again, known as Mr. Marlin and just the, <laughs> if he feels any sort of pressure of being the son of Mr. Marlin inside the Marlins organization, just, and just what he sees of his trajectory throughout the system as he continues building on. And also the fact that if we look back about a week and a half ago, uh, one of the plays in 
Beloit that he did against the South Bend Cubs makes a throw from left field to home plate that looked eerily similar to the play his dad made in the 2003 NLDS to Pudge Rodriguez, still one of the highlight plays of the, of the franchise at this point. No doubt, so, yeah. So on that note, here is Griffin Conan. I guess let's just start off with how has the season gone for you? What do you think has been working? And ultimately, what have you been trying to work on throughout this season? Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been tough, man. It's been uh, a lot of, a lot of ups and downs. Um, a lot of streakiness, I think, just cause, uh, you know, we're not, not playing games for, uh, for so long. I think it took a, it took a while, you know, for a lot of the guys too. You know, most of our team offensively, it took us a while to, uh, to get in a groove. Um, but also with the new format with the, uh, the six games in a row against one team, I think has been interesting just seeing how that plays out just because you're used to, you know, only three games and then you get a whole new, you know, fresh arms, you know, a whole new game plan basically because every team, you know, has their own. Every org is different, how they pitch guys and, and what they want to work on. Um, but now this year, it's kind of like um, if you if you like struggle in the first few games of a series, instead of it turning over and you kind of getting a fresh start, now you got you know three more, four more games um, where they're just going to keep exploiting what they have been that has worked in the, in the first few. So it, it's it's been it's been difficult in that sense where uh, if guys have a game plan that works, um, you gotta you gotta make an adjustment or else. Uh, you know, you're going to have a bad week. Whereas um, before, you know, you kind of get bailed out by, by switching teams after three games. Um, but I mean, it's been a lot of fun, you know, obviously it was super great to be playing again. Um, felt like I've, uh, you know, the power is definitely showing up. So that's, you know, I'm happy about that. As far as things I'm working on, um, you know, up and down the org, all they talk about is a uh, two strike approach, you know, two strike hitting, which is obviously, you know, um, my, my, the strikeout numbers are, are super high for me. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I don't want anyone to think that that's something I'm okay with or like that's something I, because I'm working on it every day. I am. It's, uh, it's hard, you know, once you get in a hole like that though, because, um, you get, you see less strikes, you know, and pitchers know that you're a guy that, uh, that will chase. And then you kind of just work yourself into a hole by, you know, you're getting less pitches to hit. So it becomes harder on you. But also, you know, I created that for myself. Um, so yeah, it's just every day coming in and, you know, working on um, changing speeds, you know, working on hitting off speed better, um, doing whatever I can to, to be better in those counts. Um, but it's it's been a grind for sure. Yeah, you mentioned earlier on the challenge of no minor league season last year. What did you do last year to try to make sure you didn't lose a year of development? Um, yeah, I did uh, I did everything I could. I mean, we uh, I did most of my stuff in my house. You know, I was lucky enough to have a, a pretty good gym set up at home. Um, so I could do my workouts there. And, uh, then me and my dad, we, uh, set up a cage in the backyard, got a pitching machine. Um, so that was the bulk of my work was right there, you know, in the backyard. Just, uh, I wanted to really hammer down, uh, machine work, you know, mostly just high velocity. Um, cause that's what, you know, everyone throws hard now. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of the name of the game is, is hard fastballs. Um, so just did that as much as I could. And, um, you know, the, the, the work felt great. You know, my swing felt great. Um, I think the thing that I ran into, early on in the season, once we started actual games is, um, that, uh, adjustability factor where, uh, you know, obviously you could have the quickest swing in the world, but, um, if you don't know how to hold it and hold up on off speed and be able to wait back, um, it's a, it doesn't matter, you know? So I think, uh, I've hit fastballs really well this year because of, you know, all the fastball work I did. Um, but it was really hard to mimic, mimic, um, you know, off speed in, in a, in a controlled setting. You, you kind of need game action for that. 
So um, that was that was probably the the biggest thing now that I'm trying to work on as much as I can in season, which is you know hard to do, but uh, it's it's been you know a grind. Uh, you mentioned the power. You're up to 21 home runs this year. Is there a round number you're looking for with about two months left? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I just, you know, I go out there and, you know, I, I just want to put the barrel on the ball. That's, that's really what it is. You know, obviously I love, not going to say I don't love hitting homers. You know, I love, you know, I think that's, uh, it's awesome when that shows up in the game. But at the same time, you know, I'm happy if I'm barreling, you know, three, four balls a game. Um, which, you know, I haven't really been. Um, so that's, that's my goal every time I step in the box is just put a, put a good swing on it, be consistent as I can. Um, so as far as round numbers go, uh, no, no goals there, you know, it'll end up what it ends up at. Um, so, uh, just going to keep riding it. Uh, what was your reaction when the trade did go down end of August that you were going to the Marlins? What was your reaction when all that unfolded? Uh, it was, it was surprised, you know, shocking, you know, you never, you never expect to be traded, you know, uh, you never, or I guess, you know, sometimes, sometimes you might know, uh, there'll be murmurs here and there, but for me, uh, there was kind of just nothing, nothing at all. You know, I thought, you know, for sure I would be with the Blue Jays at least until, you know, I made it up, uh, all the way up. Um, so it was shocking. And then at the same time, you know, it was thrilling just because, uh, being with the hometown team, you know, be, uh, be able to represent, um, you know, where I grew up is, is awesome and also, you know, be able to represent the same team my dad spent most of his career for and, and did uh, most of these uh, memorable moments with um, is really cool. So uh, it was shocking and it was uh, it was a whirlwind for sure of emotions. Um, but in the end, you know, definitely really happy to to be here with this organization and uh, couldn't couldn't be uh, couldn't be more thrilled for the future. And on that note, what memories do you have of the Marlins growing up, especially during the time that your dad was playing here? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of great memories um, at the uh, old Marlins Park. You know, I loved uh, loved going there and shagging BP and just running around the outfield. And um, definitely have you know remember guys like Ugla and Hanley when they were first coming up, and uh, Mike Mike Sand back when he was Mike. Um, and just uh, you know, I definitely remember. You know, the throw, the, the, the play Pudge made, never forget that. Um, so it was, uh, a lot of, tons of memories, you know, more, more than I could have time to, uh, to express. But, um, yeah, it was, it was some of the most fun times I've ever had at that old stadium, uh, when my dad used to be playing there. And speaking of the throw, the play you made last week against, I think it was South Bend, a lot, a few people were actually putting that side by side with the play your dad made, and it looks pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that, uh, a good friend of mine actually is, uh, helps, helps run that, um, fish on the farm account. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that was really cool to see. It was, it was cool. Um, how they, uh, I, I haven't played left a whole lot this year. Um, so I was kind of, that was only, I think my second or third game out there, maybe this season. Um, but I felt, yeah, I felt really comfortable out there and, uh, it was really cool to see, see that link up and, uh, similar footwork and, and throw. And it was, it was awesome. Uh, and with the pedigree your dad has, again, he's Mr. Marlin. Did you, when you got traded here, in addition to the the moments of feeling like you're playing for your hometown team, did you do you feel any extra pressure being the son of Mr. Marlin's going going through the Marlin's ranks right now? Um, not not really, to be honest. Uh, yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely cool to have that you know that that kind of piece of history and in, in my bloodlines and um. But as far as pressure goes, you know, I, I just uh, go out there and, and play. You know, that's kind of all you can do. I'm not not real big on um, social media active, you know, because there's just uh, everyone's always there's a lot of negativity out there. Um, but 
yeah, I think uh, the most pressure I, is created uh, in my own head, you know, just on myself. It's kind of just me, me versus me. But as far as um, all that, you know, talk about Mr. Marlon Jr. and whatnot, uh, you know, if, if I earn that name for real eventually, then, then I'll be happy about it. Um, but for now, you know, I just go out and play. When you decided that you wanted to pursue baseball long-term, what was the biggest piece of advice that Jeff gave you? Um, he always talks about, uh, just keeping the game simple, as simple as you can, you know, especially, uh, more specifically as like, as you rise through the, the minor league ranks and, um, every, every rank, you know, it gets harder and harder, you know, the game speeds up slightly and that's, that's the purpose of, uh, of all the levels in the minors. Um, but he's just like, he always preaches, you know, it's the same game, you know, it's the same, same 60 foot mound, same 90 foot bases. Uh, even when you get all the way up, you know, he told that to, uh, he was told that by George Brett when he played and he, and he told that to guys like Josh Hamilton when they were making their debuts. Um, and that was something he passed on to me too. Uh, so that's just, uh, I think that's a cool way to think about it as far as, um, creating pressure for yourself when really, you know, it's, you know, it is the, it is the same, you know, you're, you're different, different scenery, obviously different, uh, different difficulty, but it really is, um, between the lines, it's all the same. So uh, just keep it simple. And um, I think he was really good at that. That's why he played so long. And cu- just a couple quick more. Uh, off the field, who is Jeff Conner off the field? What are your hobbies? What are your favorite foods? What do you like to do away from the baseball field? Um, not not a not a whole lot. Nothing crazy. You know, I love uh, I love music. You know, I love um, uh, not not big on golf. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get into it. I think if there's a if there's a time, maybe this off season, I can work on my swing a little bit more, get them a little bit more um, balls in the fairway. I think that could be something I, I would enjoy. Uh, but as far as hobbies go, um, you know, I just uh, I have a, a long board. I like to ride around on, kind of um, just chill out though. For the most part, you know, baseball is kind of my life, so uh, that's that's the main goal with everything. And uh, working out is definitely a big big thing for me. Off season, that's kind of I shift my gears just to full on focus on, on, you know, the best way I can keep my body in shape and, and get it ready for the season. Um, and that, that kind of carries into the season as well. Uh, so, um, I have a, uh, whoop, whoop band that I recently got into, um, which is really cool. I don't know if you know, um, uh, a whole lot about it, but it's, uh, it tracks like, um, tracks your recovery basically like through, uh, measuring your heart rate and your heart rate variability and kind of all these different metrics and, um, more importantly, like measures your sleep, uh, sleep cycles too. Um, so that's something, uh, I'm about, I've had it about a year now, actually. Um, and, uh, that's changed. It's definitely changed the way about how I think about, um, my workouts and the recovery and how important sleep is because it, it's huge. Um, so that's something that I recently got into and, uh, has been really cool to, to explore and, and be a part of. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Yeah. So it's awesome. Yeah. And then just lastly, and I'm hoping I'm not ruining this right now, what's your pregame routine? I'm hoping, hopefully I'm not messing up with what you're usually doing at this point. Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So usually right about now, I'll, uh, we have our pregame meal. Um, started, uh, this season I started doing the, sh- the pregame shower, um, uh, which I didn't used to, but it's, it feels nice. It kind of feels like a good reset, especially in the summer. It gets real hot. So, uh, after VP, you need to kind of cool down and, um, chill out. And then, uh, it's pretty much always the same. You know, I have my, uh, my little pre-workout, pre-workout shake that I make at like 5 p.m. Um, then we get ready, uh, listen to music, obviously. Um, gotta get, gotta get pumped up with the music. And then 5.30, we, uh, we get in the cage. When we're at home, we get in the cage, uh, 
for like 20 minutes, just pregame BP, just a little, uh, get the feels going. And then, uh, six o'clock get on the field and six 30 games. So it's down to a science by this point. Pretty much everything is at the same exact time. Every time that's something my dad, uh, he was big on too. He said, you know, your pregame routine is your identity as far as, uh, in season. So that's something, um, I always like look forward to all those little check marks of, uh, getting ready for the game. So that's, that's what it's at right now. What's the go-to on the playlist? It's been, um, it's been a lot of rap, honestly, this year. Uh, little baby is someone, uh, I, I wasn't real big on before, but, uh, there's been a lot of new music coming out. Um, so yeah, uh, big fan, big fan of Little Baby. Uh, J. Cole, new album came out, you know, recently. Love that one too. So th- those have been the two, two for sure. Griffin, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Best of luck for the rest of your year, man. Absolutely. Thank you, man. All right. And I want to thank Griffin Conan again for taking the time. I also want to thank, uh, Brent Bartels with the Beloit Snappers for helping set that up. That was really great. It was really clutch of them. It was great to be able to talk a little bit with Griffin. And especially with them being up in Beloit and just the travel situation being tough as it is to try to get up there, being able to use, utilize Zoom and things of that nature to be able to talk with these guys was really beneficial. And to now move over to the rest of the minor leagues, uh, Edward Cabrera, we talked about him in the first half of the show. He made his AAA debut on Sunday. It could have been better. Uh, four earned runs on four hits and three walks, two strikeouts. Three plus innings, he got ended up getting pulled two batters into the fourth inning. Whether not weather delay caused him to get knocked out. The two runners that he left on base after being pulled in the fourth scored. He threw 60 pitches, 33 of those went for strikes, and he also had two wild pitches, a pass ball, and hit a batter. Again, mm. could have been better. Not pretty. But yeah. I mean, again, probably a lot probably more to dive in there, you know, and try to see really what was going on with his stat and with his start. I mean, and it's only one start, you know, again, if he, if he looks this way after like one, after a couple more, then maybe there's something to worry about there. You, you know, you want to kind of see what's affecting him maybe as far as like why his command is a little bit off, but I like the fact that at least he try at least he's pitching now triple a, you get him started there and kind of take this from there because like we were talking about before, they're going to need to put some, some guys you're going to need to bring some guys up down the stretch because this pitching rotation right now is hurting, especially now with Pablo out. So you hope that this is the perfect window for him to make his way little by little to the major leagues, maybe before the end of the season, at least break the ice, at least get up there and see what's going and, and see if he can get some starts under his belt. So again, you don't like seeing the command being off like that because a guy with his stuff, I mean, it's too good. It plays so well when he's on, but again, it's one start. Let's see how he can, take it and carry it from there in the next week or so and, and, and see if he can get back on track. If not, then, you know, they'll have to, they'll have to see what's going on. And now to move back to double a uh, Zach McCambly, Marlins third round pick from the 2020 draft cycle. He got called up. So now the Marlins have three of their 2020 draft picks, three of those pitchers in that double a rotation. He joins uh, Max Meyer and Jake Eater, both of whom, have had solid seasons at this point. Both were in the Futures game. McCambly, his last, his final start in Beloit and his first start in AA were extremely rough. He gave up uh, his first start in AA. He had five walks in three and a third innings, which when you compare that to all 11 starts in Beloit where he walked six total batters, that was sort of a wake-up call. But on Saturday, he had his bounce-back game. 
Uh, one unearned run on three hits and two walks. He struck out six over six innings. His breaking ball, his curveball, which is arguably his best pitch. He was locating that for strikes. He was playing off his fastball pretty well. And it was a needed – it was – for him, he's, he told us that it was a needed bounce-back performance after having two rough starts, his final one in Beloit and his first one in Pensacola, just knowing that he knows that, he, that he's better than what he showed those two prior starts. And he wanted to use that – his start on Saturday as basically a reset. And for him, that was mission accomplished. Yeah, and again, it's similar – this is a step ahead of what we were talking about with Cabrera. I think, you know, these guys sometimes, you know, they go up a level and, and it's an adjustment. It takes a little bit for them to adjust. And that's all part of it. That's all part of it. the development period for these guys. And it's good to see, it's good to see Zach make those changes. And now he got a little bit better results. And remember, and they're seeing different lineups too. I mean, the results are going to vary. The key is, you know, if he's developing his command well, you know, if the velo's there, if there's no issue with it, you know, if they're staying healthy on the mound, learning learning how to stay durable, that sort of thing. So that's where you like to see the fact that I think the first thing you said right now in this little segment was seeing all those draft picks already at that level, that's big because you're seeing how the development track is progressing well for them just only, basically only a year since they joined the organization. And now you want to see that kind of that same progression now from the crop of pitchers that they just drafted the other day get that and that that's the thing you build the you build that up little by little and that's where we're at right now seeing this franchise really develop the kind of the kind of depth that they hope they have for for years to come so again in, in this particular set that that pitcher that completely pitcher class it's good to see that the majority of them have, are panning out so far and and on track and uh since we went pitcher heavy on this part of it any position players of note so far this month from from your Andre? Yeah, well, I mean, Bryson Brigman hitting about 311, 10 runs scored so far in July. That's good to see for, for a guy who's had, you know, his ups and downs. But, and he's doing it at the triple A level, too. Like you said, I mean, this could be someone who could be could factor in with all these injuries right now. Who knows? He could be a guy that, that is needed to come up and take a spot at the major league level, which would be great for him to come up. And then J.J. Blade looks like a little bit – you know, looks like it's bouncing back a little bit from where it was recently. We were a little worried seeing the slump he was in down there. It looks like he's starting to find a little more consistency, a little more rhythm at the plate. So that's that's definitely a good sign on a guy like him that they they're counting, they're they're expecting so much from. And at first base, how about I mean, Bubba Hollins has been speaking of guys tearing it up in Beloit. Bubba yeah. Hollins, 442, 15 RBI, eight doubles in 13 games. That that's some serious production happening right there for him. So good for him. These are again, not, not their top, top tier prospects, but guys that, you know, provide some organizational depth. And it looks like that good for them to see, you know, some strides made and we'll see how they, how it keeps going. Nassim Nunez doing what we know he can do eight stolen bases this month. I mean, definitely a speedster. I, I'm more curious to see how his bat is developing, but at least that, that speed of his and that ability to steal bases comes as advertised. And it's been that way since he, since he joined the organization. Yeah. For Nassim Nunez is that he's hitting 237 so far this year. I'm pulling up the rest of the numbers now, uh, 31 walks over about 200 plate appearances. So 237 average 364 on base percentage and the eight stolen base brings him up to 31 on the year with only eight caught stealings. Uh, the specific numbers on JJ Bleday, so far this month, 256 with three doubles, a home run, six ribbies, and 10 walks against six strikeouts. 
But even with that production, he's hitting 198 on the year, right. which that is that number still is pretty alarming this late yeah. into the season for a guy like Bleday, a guy that the Marlins were really optimistic about at the end of spring training, really like the bat, really like the mature approach that we always keep referencing. Remember, yeah. Remember the patch of under 100? That, that was the alarming part that he had for a while there. And that's what really brought it down. You know, so that's what I'm saying. 256 is still not, oh my God, but he's never going to be a super high average guy. But the production is where is what I'm saying. The, the fewer strikeouts, you know, only six and 12 games, that's better. You know what I mean? That's, that's, a, that's a little more encouraging because it was really bad for a while there where you don't like to go strictly off results, but when they're that drastically low, that's an alarm bell going off going, Hey, what's up with, what's up with JJ and should we be worried? Yeah, definitely. And on that note, that's going to be it for this week's episode of fish bites. Uh, I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Uh, next week's going to be our final one before the trade deadline. So should be an interesting one. A little more trade talk, and 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 we'll see we'll see which names are which, which names are in new places and which ones aren't. All right. So with that, thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>